Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of scaphoid fracture found under the orthopedic section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 28-year-old man trips while running and lands on his outstretched left hand. He experiences immediate onset, severe left wrist pain, and inability to flex or extend his wrist. On exam, he has point tenderness dorsally over the anatomic snuff box. A radiograph of his left wrist demonstrates a fracture of the proximal pole of the scaphoid. Let's continue with an introduction to scaphoid fracture. Clinically, it is defined as a fracture of the scaphoid bone. Remember that the word scaphoid is derived from the Greek word for boat due to its boat-like appearance. With regards to epidemiology, remember that this is one of the most common carpal fractures. Demographically, it tends to affect adolescents and young adults, and it is more common in males than females. With regards to the etiology, this may occur from a fall from a standing height on an outstretched hand. A high-energy trauma is a less common cause. Let's now review some scaphoid anatomy. Remember that the scaphoid is one of the four bones in the proximal carpal row of the wrist. The other three are the lunate, triketrum, and pisiform. The articulations of the scaphoid include the radius proximally, the lunate medially, and the trapezium, trapezoid, and capitate distally. The scaphoid is anatomically subdivided into three parts, a proximal third, a middle third referred to as the waist, and a distal third. Remember that the scaphoid tubercle is part of the distal third. The vascular supply of the scaphoid includes the dorsal carpal branch of the radial artery, which supplies the proximal 80% of the scaphoid via retrograde flow. This means that the proximal scaphoid is the most likely to undergo a vascular necrosis due to its tenuous retrograde blood supply. Also remember that the superficial palmar branch of the radial artery supplies the distal 20% of the scaphoid. And in terms of fracture location, 65% occur at the scaphoid waist, 25% occur in the proximal third, and 10% occur in the distal third. Remember that the distal third is the most common site in young children due to the ossification pattern. Conditions associated with scaphoid fracture include ligamentous injury, such as a wrist sprain, This is because the scaphoid attaches to many wrist ligaments, which can be torn in scaphoid fractures. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include radial wrist pain, and on exam, one may note anatomic snuffbox tenderness dorsally, scaphoid tubercle tenderness volarly, and pain with resisted pronation. In terms of further imaging, radiography is always indicated if a fracture is suspected. A standard AP, lateral, and oblique views of the wrist may not demonstrate the fracture, so a dedicated scaphoid view may be needed to visualize the fracture. However, initial radiographs may still be negative, so if there is high clinical suspicion, then one should repeat radiographs at two to three weeks after the injury. Specific findings may include a fracture line through the scaphoid. Computerized tomography is indicated if initial radiographs are negative. However, it is less sensitive than MRI. Remember also that it is better than radiography at demonstrating healing. Specific findings are that it can demonstrate fracture lines, fragment sizes, and the extent of bony collapse. Another option is magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI. Remember that this is the most sensitive imaging modality within the first 24 hours, and it can be used if initial radiographs are negative. Specific findings may be that it can demonstrate associated ligamentous injuries, and it allows for the assessment of the vascular integrity of the proximal pole of the scaphoid if AVN is suspected. In terms of the differential, Make sure to think about a distal radius fracture, with differentiating factors, B1 
being that a fracture will be evident on an AP or lateral radiograph of the wrist, and this is more likely in older patients. Also think about a wrist sprain, with differentiating factors being that ligamentous injury in the absence of a fracture will be evident on MRI. In terms of treatment for scaphoid fractures, non-operative options include thumb spica cast immobilization. This is indicated for stable, non-displaced fractures, or for patients whose radiographs are normal but a high index of suspicion for occult fracture remains. Operative options include percutaneous pin fixation versus open reduction and internal fixation. This is indicated for unstable fractures, which would include displaced fractures, proximal pole fractures, comminuted fractures, and vertical or oblique fractures. Complications related to scaphoid fracture include avascular necrosis. This is most common in proximal injuries due to a retrograde blood supply. Other complications include non-union and scaphoid non-union advanced collapse, or SNAC. This refers to progressive wrist arthritis due to chronic scaphoid non-union. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, favorable factors include stable, non-displaced fractures, whereas unfavorable factors include unstable, displaced fractures, or AVN. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to scaphoid fracture, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 27-year-old man presents immediately after falling while rollerblading. He states that he fell onto his hand with his thumb gripped in his palm. Since then, he has been complaining of wrist pain. The patient is a daily smoker and consumes edible marijuana. He had a cold recently, for which he is taking adult vitamins. His temperature is 101.3 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 109 over 70. Pulse is 88 beats per minute, and respirations are 15 breaths per minute. Physical exam is notable for a perspiring man with hand pain that is elicited when the patient grabs his thumb with ulnar deviation of the hand. There is tenderness over the dorsal aspect of the thumb extending down to the base of the wrist and tenderness when palpating the thenar eminence and volar aspect of the thumb. There is no pain with passive range of motion of the wrist. An initial radiograph is normal. The patient subsequently leaves the hospital without his discharge information after his radiograph is performed. Which of the following is a potential complication this patient may experience? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Avascular necrosis Choice 2. Infectious joint destruction Choice 3. Median nerve compression and failed reduction Choice 4. Permanent cystic structure in the wrist Or Choice 5. Worsening pain with repetitive use of the hand The best answer to this question is Choice 1. Avascular necrosis this patient is presenting after a fall with diffuse pain, including pain over the anatomic snuff box and scaphoid, which is concerning for a scaphoid fracture, even in the setting of a normal radiograph. Avascular necrosis is a potential complication of an untreated scaphoid fracture. A scaphoid fracture typically occurs when a patient falls onto an outstretched hand. The most common complaint will be wrist pain, and classically patients will complain of pain over the anatomic snuff box and the scaphoid bone when palpating the volar aspect of the palm. A radiograph must be performed in these patients. However, in the setting of a normal radiograph, it does not rule out a scaphoid fracture. Patients must be placed in a thumb spica cast and have a follow-up radiograph in one to two weeks to assess for an evolving fracture. Failure to properly treat a scaphoid fracture can result in avascular necrosis 
due to the tenuous blood supply of the scaphoid. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Infectious joint destruction describes septic arthritis, which would present with a red, hot, swollen, exquisitely tender wrist. Patients may demonstrate a fever and an elevated ESR or CRP, and arthrocentesis will demonstrate an elevated white blood cell count, often greater than 50,000 cells. This patient only has a fever for unknown reasons. He may have an infection from his cold or be hot from rollerblading. However, he has no pain with passive range of motion of the wrist. Choice 3. Median nerve compression and failed reduction is a possible complication of a lunate dislocation, which can occur after a fall. The radiograph may appear normal on an AP image. However, a lateral radiograph will show the spilled cup of T-sign. A lunate dislocation can be difficult to reduce with increased difficulty with increased time and can compress the median nerve causing carpal tunnel syndrome symptoms. Choice 4. Permanent cystic structure on the wrist describes a ganglion cyst, which may or may not be permanent, which can also present after trauma with a cystic collection of synovial fluid from a joint capsule or tendon sheath. The mass can be painful or painless and is associated with repeat use and trauma. Choice 5. Worsening pain with repetitive use of the hand can be seen in decorvain tenosynovitis, which presents in nursing mothers or individuals who take a narrow grip while weightlifting, and it presents with pain when grabbing the thumb with ulnar deviation of the hand, as in this patient. This patient may have tenosynovitis. However, he concretely has findings of a scaphoid injury, including snuffbox tenderness and tenderness over a scaphoid on the volar aspect of his hand. Treatment of decorvain tenosynovitis involves rust, thumb spica cast, and ibuprofen. Finally, a bullet summary. Avascular necrosis is a complication of a scaphoid fracture if it is not treated with a thumb spica cast and re-evaluated appropriately with radiography. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 14-year-old boy presents to the emergency department with hand pain after falling from a skateboard one day ago. He reports that he lost his balance while attempting a new trick and fell on his outstretched hand. He has been icing his hand and taking several tablets of ibuprofen every few hours, but the pain and swelling have not improved. The patient reports that he has not been able to use the hand to take notes in school. His past medical history is significant for infectious mononucleosis last year and type 1 diabetes mellitus, for which he has an insulin pump. On physical exam, there is mild swelling over the dorsal aspect of the hand and wrist. He has tenderness in the region between the extensor pollicis longus and the extensor pollicis brevis of the right hand. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Reassurance in pain management Choice 2. Radiograph of the wrist Choice 3. MRI of the wrist Choice 4. Thumb spica cast Or Choice 5. Radial gutter cast The best answer to this question is Choice 2. Radiograph of the wrist. This patient presents with pain in the anatomic snuff box after falling on an outstretched hand, which suggests a diagnosis of scaphoid fracture. The next best step in management is radiograph of the wrist. Pain in the anatomic snuff box, an area on the dorsal aspect of the wrist bounded medially by the extensor pollicis longus and laterally by the abductor pollicis longus and extensor pollicis brevis, is also specific for the injury. Because the blood supply to the bone runs distally to proximally, prompt management of the injury is crucial to avoid the dreaded complication of avascular necrosis. The first step in management of a scaphoid fracture is a radiograph of the wrist with view specific to the scaphoid bone. 
This radiograph helps rule out a distal radius fracture as well as a displaced scaphoid fracture that would require surgical management. Compressed or non-displaced fractures may not be visible on radiographs for 7 to 10 days following the injury. For that reason, if the radiograph is negative, the patient's hand and wrist should be placed in a thumb spica cast for 7 to 10 days before repeating the imaging. Alternatively, an MRI of the wrist would be the test of choice for a scaphoid fracture if an immediate diagnosis is needed. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Reassurance is not appropriate in this case of a likely scaphoid fracture. Without proper treatment, the fracture is at risk of non-union or avascular necrosis due to the tenuous blood supply. Choice 3. MRI of the wrist may be used to confirm the diagnosis, but workup should begin with the radiograph of the wrist. Choice 4. Thumb spica cast is the appropriate treatment for a scaphoid fracture, but evaluation should begin with the radiograph of the wrist to rule out a displaced fracture. Choice 5. Radial gutter cast is the appropriate treatment for some metacarpal, phalangeal, and distal radial fractures, but it would not be appropriate for a scaphoid fracture. Finally, a bullet summary. The first step in management is a radiograph of the wrist if a scaphoid fracture is suspected, which may be negative for 7 to 10 days. If the radiograph is negative, the wrist should be immobilized in a thumb spike cast with repeat imaging performed in 7 to 10 days. That's all for this review about scaphoid fracture. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.